0: Hello and welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. My name is Angie Judge from Dexibit. Unprecedented is a word that we've heard a lot lately. It seems to echo in my head every time I read the news or listen to the latest government update, but it is the only word that feels appropriate to use at the moment. I'm sure that none of us, when we started out our careers in this industry, could have ever imagined a day when every visitor attraction around the world was closed or on its way, from the Smithsonian to Disneyland and more to come. And closing our doors, I'm sure, is a moment that requires a big breath in to muster the strength that it will take to lead our teams in the coming weeks and months ahead. I want to acknowledge this global industry community, that we have people with us on this call especially from countries like Spain and Italy, who are dealing with utterly tragic personal circumstance, and our hearts are breaking for you. And we have people from across America whose experience will be very different depending on what state you're in, and people from countries where perhaps life is still operating mostly as normal, and we're trying to help our teams come to terms with what lies ahead. Unprecedented is also a word that feels appropriate together, here and now, because we are joined today by over a thousand visitor attractions of all shapes and sizes from around the world, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here who feels the strength in numbers that we're coming together to face this crisis as one. We hope today is the start of a community that comes together to get through where we can share ideas and fears, strategies and tactics, pain and hope for the future. I want to extend my deepest thanks to AAM to IAPA and Blue Loop, who have come together in this unique partnership to help make today possible. We have Charles Reed, the Managing Director at Blue Loop, who will give us a situation report. Susie Storey, Director of Global Communications at IAPA, who will share their experience the past months in Asia. And Laura Lott, Chief Executive of AAM, who will provide us with a lens for which to think about the future. And from Dexibit, Pip Gilbert and I will provide a framework for navigating the decisions we all have to make in the days, weeks and months ahead. There will be time for questions at the end of today's session. Please use the Q&A facility in the webinar to submit yours and we will be providing both a copy and a recording of the webinar after the session concludes with the slides along with an industry survey to share where we're all at and some additional resources. And with that, I'll hand over to Charles to provide us all with an update.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, I hope everyone can hear me. I'm uh, Charles Reed. I run a company called Blue Loop. We're a media company providing uh, news for people in the visitor attractions business. Um, We're based down here in Devon, in the West country in England, where it's wet and cold, and everyone is uh, self-isolating right now. Um, Briefly, I'm just gonna run through uh, a summary of where we're at globally with the uh, coronavirus right now. Um, I'll look at some of, the, some of the countries around the world which are showing best practice and from which we can learn and perhaps give it an idea about what's coming down the line. Um, as you all know the numbers are growing absolutely rapidly. Um, when I first looked at this presentation the other day it was at uh, 30,000 less than it is now. Um, I think they've doubled in the in the last week um, or doubling every five days. And as the World Health Organization says, um, their emphasis is just test, test, test. um, Because, and they're asking uh, other countries around the world to follow the lead of of, uh, China and South Korea, because what they're doing with their actions is showing that the pandemic is controllable. Um, Recently, the caseload outside China has, um, uh, has taken over China and um, it's actually showing a far more exponential curve outside of China, outside of China, than the original uh, Wuhan experience. Um, Notable that Singapore, Italy and South Korea are showing that test, test, test um, is indeed the key. Um, In terms of visitor attractions, uh, anecdotal evidence is showing that um, the uh, impact in February was uh, 5% visitors down, um, 20% down in the first week of March, uh, and then around 50% down in the week, commencing the night. A lot of venues reported 85% down on the last day before they closed. So it really is extremely trying times for um, everyone in the industry. So what I'm going to do now is just look through um, a few of the key countries, what's happening around the world, give you an idea of best practice and uh, some examples of countries that are doing uh, really well in terms of uh, coping with the virus. Um, first of all, South Korea, I mentioned South Korea, they've been uh, following a few simple rules from the start. Um, I've got a fantastic graph here which I, I'm not familiar enough with Zoom to, know to put on there so I'll hold it up here so you can see it. Now that graph shows the number of cases in South Korea in, started February the 17th, so uh, in just over a month they've been aggressively testing up to 20,000 people a day um, to put that in some kind of perspective, uh, the US, uh, I think, has tested around 60,000 in total. So Korea doing 20,000 a day. Um, they've been uh, showing great innovation in testing, even doing drive-through testing. They've c- closed the schools. They've canceled large events. And um, the, um, the government has strongly advised people to stay inside. So they've basically been a poster boy for how to handle uh, this crisis. Um, Singapore as well, they've shown how uh, an in. They've shown how being ready for such a, such a pandemic is important. They have the quarantine and process and facilities all in place from SARS. They've got great technology, um, a very strong health care system with all uh, latest technology. So they've been um, really managing risk and panic really, really well. Um, China, there was initially some obfuscation in China, but I think recently they've been uh, shown fantastically well how they can cope with it, to, to the extent that today on the news this morning, um, it was the first day where there wasn't a single new case of coronavirus in China, so that's a, a symbolic day, I think, in the, the fight against the pandemic. A few other countries, uh, again, uh, Taiwan in China. It's worth mentioning it in um, in, um, in Taiwan, you actually cannot enter a public building without having your temperature tested. So you're literally sent home for treatment if your temperature isn't isn't right. Um, Hong Kong and China as well, they've got fantastic facilities for home lo- home learning. So China right now has over 400 million children at home. And um, Hong Kong children are learning via apps. And uh, there's 120 million Chinese getting access to learning materials through their televisions as well. So uh, there's a huge effort in China going on successfully to contain and manage the crisis. Um, a few words about Europe. Europe. Um, the UK, I think, uh, the UK government has been pretty transparent in terms of um, not playing down the severity of, of the problem. Um, Italy have been very strong in terms of uh, debt relief, uh, helping people out, mortgage help, this kind of stuff, student loans. Um, Austria, an example of a country that have very quickly clamped down on uh, mass gatherings. Um, so that's been a really important um, uh, move in, in across the world in terms of lowering the curve, flattening the curve and stopping the growth of the spread of the virus. Um, school closures, of course, we've just yesterday had school closures here in the, in the UK starting. Um, there's not a lot of agreement on that for the simple reason that a lot of children have to stay at home when they do stay at school. Um, there's children of health workers. Uh, there's children who, when they go home, interact with older people. So, uh, And finally, perhaps one thing in Europe that shows the absolute severity of, um, of the situation is that in Ireland, they they, um, they they closed the pubs down the day before St. Patrick's Day. So things are getting very serious over there. Um, in Australia, they've not really waited for the bad statistics. They've pre, uh, preempted what's, what's inevitably gonna happen. Um, they've been um, helping with a huge stimulus, including a $25,000 tax-free um, to many businesses and uh, one-off payments as well to veterans and social security. Their recipients too, so they've even got elderly shopping hours, specific elderly shopping hours early in the morning. Uh, we had a dreadful case in the UK the other day where a blind blind woman was robbed of her toilet roll during the day. So they're having specific opening shopping hours for older people in Australia. Uh, curfews, curfews are working in Puerto Rico and Malta. Um, corporate solutions worth mentioning: uh, Louis Vuitton has. Um, stopped making its cosmetics for a while, is making hand sanitizer, that kind of thing's got to be applauded. Um, California, they're, um, they're rapidly moving, uh, looking to move homeless people into clean and hygienic hotels, because obviously homeless um, communities, perhaps refugee, refugee communities are uh, places where the, uh, the virus might spread. Um, I think I mentioned in terms of things that are not particularly great and could be questioned is here in the UK, uh, whatever you think of Brexit, One of the facts is that we did, uh, we are leaving the European uh, Medicines Agency, and that's what effectively gives us um, um, bulk buying power on vaccines and stuff. So there may be issues there. Uh, And in the US, the the current administration basically got rid of the White House uh, pandemic response team a couple of years ago. So um, the significance of that is obviously still being learned. Um, And finally, I think in terms of uh, a roll call, uh, Mexico... The Mexican president has declared that um, COVID-19 will not harm Mexico, so they're okay, and has suggested people should hug and kiss freely, um, while at the same time embarking on high mass gatherings with uh, women and children. So, uh, I'd suggest that Mexico might be the current worst in class. Um, quickly looking at uh, where's uh, where's next, I would um, I think India and Russia potential places where um, where the um, the virus may spread very quickly. Um, also, um, Germany—it's currently um, at a very, very low rate in Germany compared to Italy, for example. Uh, and oddly, Iceland has the um, the highest known infection rate as well. Um, moving on to uh, segments in our industry. Yeah, so in we have different kinds of visitor attractions, and you're going to hear from obviously Susan Laura about museums and uh, and and. Uh, and and Susan about the wider attractions industry, I think it's worth mentioning that in terms of um, uh, zoos and aquariums of course they need staff to stay and they need to look after the animals so that's one very strong issue. Uh, Here in the UK the farm parks have got a fair point because they they say that they're not effectively mass gathering gatherings because um, they might have a thousand people over 50 acres as opposed to a theatre where you've got a thousand people crammed into a small theatre from um, the entertainment centres, they're high vector, high touch environments with lots of children, so they're potentially a, an area of um, uh, of risk. Um, water parks, there's unknowns involved, water transmission. Um, it's uh, there's so many unknowns in the industry right now. It's tough to um, to understand entirely what's happening. Um, obviously, I'd say big wheels, um, tower like theatres. These are basically very closed environments, so um, it's tough for those. Um, one thing worth mentioning is that galleries, libraries, museums, etc. They've been sharing content online for a long time, so they're perhaps well uh, well positioned to carry on having good relationships with their um, with their you know their guests in, in terms of um, continuing the the dialogue and stuff. And um, I think in terms of resources, it's worth mentioning that both our IAPA and uh, AAM and the Museums Association, for example, here in the UK are all uh, absolutely worth visiting regularly because they've got a huge amount of resource um, uh, on their sites. So, uh, And finally, a quick look at the, um, the, the tourism position. In terms of tourism, the, um, I think the, the, these are some um, assessor, the assessments from the, uh, the, uh, the World Travel and Tourism Council. I, I suspect they're probably a little optimistic. Um, and they, they reckon a the 25% market shrink this year. Well, if um, you know, if we're looking at perhaps two or three months with no airline travel, that could be on the positive side. Um, it's interesting online. The um, online the traffic to every website around the world is going down, apart from farmer, uh, um, health, and um, the biggest uh, loss in traffic, of course, is to travel industry websites too. Um, In terms of um, optimism and the way ahead, I think we should really just look at uh, South Korea and China. They show that quick uh, draconian action can uh, be game changing. And just this last week, um, 180 museums in China have reopened and uh, they're guardedly letting people move around much more often. So um, I think um, there is course for optimism. It's just going to be a a tough few months that we're um, we're all in it together.
2: Thank you, Charles. Uh, So as we look at uh, the crisis that we're currently in, um, in moments of crisis, we're faced with a raft of decisions and it's decisions on things that we've never faced before. There's so much uncertainty and it's often hard to know what to do next, to see our way through and then come out the other side. As well as the health crisis, I think we're all uh, very aware that we're on the edge of a potential economic crisis. And our industry is really the canary in the coal mine. In situations like these, there's winners and there's losers economically, and none of us are Amazon, and nor are we toilet paper manufacturers. And so in the travel and tourism sector, we're definitely feeling it first. Uh, We've talked already about the venues that are closing down around the world, and many of you here today, in fact, I'm sure have already shut down, and for some indefinitely. But it is worth reminding ourselves that this industry generally doesn't do too badly in times of recession. And so if we as a global community can bring the health crisis under control and separate it from the economic one, we will find a way to manage through. The framework you see here becomes a way to lead through crisis, sort of a compass to help direct the order of execution of the decisions at each turn while we keep our eye on the big picture and another eye on our team. For each decision we face, the first step is to assess the situation, using data where it's easily available to understand the impact before arriving at that response, be it immediate, short-term or longer-term. By playing out the various scenarios through simulation, we can manage the path forward with clarity as our assumptions become clearer and the triggers to pivot to alternate plans are pre-identified. When the time comes that we're allowed to reopen and we're going to have to move very fast and be very agile from an operational perspective, things like visitor services, uh, understanding how many staff to deploy, monitoring our cost of acquisition and marketing, and all of the other functions that are making these decisions that they've never faced before, having simulated those various scenarios, it's about being prepared with our plans and data points to manage the return to the new normal rising out of the the current state and into that survival mode uh, and survival mode and into thriving in the future so In addition to disease, uh, it is worth noting that this framework can be used to handle accidents, active shooter incidents, animal escapes, assaults, crimes, all of the other crises that may face us uh, as we go about our business. But with respect to the current situation, I think this page probably represents where many of you are right now, perhaps your last week or two. Hopefully, you had a business continuity plan in place, and if not, I'm sure you'll be writing this as you go. Speed is of the essence here because failure to act swiftly in times of crisis is more dangerous than not acting at all. IAPA has a great template for crisis communication, you can see in the top right hand of the screen here, and if you're just getting to this point, it contains many of the things you'll need to think through. Given where things are globally, it's likely that you have already done the first two things on this page. Assembled your leadership team to address the crisis, and set up cross-functional governance to represent and direct each part of the organization with speed. With those two items in hand, it's time for many of us to turn our attention to the third step, and that's having made sure that visitors and staff are safe, beginning to assess the impact on priority metrics. Things like understanding your cash position and your burn rates, identifying risk areas such as revenue that is not able to be recognized, or pre-booked advertising expenditure, For example, if you are still open, what is the minimum visitorship that justifies remaining open given your cost base? And if you're closed and you've offered advanced pass bookings or have memberships, you'll be needing to make decisions as to how to manage these. Will they be refunded in full or in part or perhaps deferred for the future? And for many of these decisions, your advisors will be critical. Talking to people as soon as you possibly can bringing them together quickly and helping them, letting them help you understand your options. For a lot of our customers, the immediate focus with them has been assessing the impact to date from the downturn and then using forecasts or predictions alongside estimated closure dates for loss of income claims. We often talk about being insight-inspired and data-informed, but for no time is this more true than the present as we do face these unprecedented decisions. So with these initial impact assessments in hand, Susie, I'll turn to you to talk through how we go about communicating with staff and visitors.
3: Well, thank you very much, Pip, and, and good morning to everybody. I'm, we're grateful that you all are part of this um, webinar with us today. Uh, communications can never be underestimated, and it, it, it's one of those things that should go without saying, but often is overlooked. When you're going through the operation of determining if you're gonna open, if you're gonna close, what do you need to do? All the different things, sometimes actually communicating, here's what we're gonna do, can be forgotten. And, and really at this juncture, there are two critical audiences that we all need to keep in mind. We have several, of course, but the two top of mind should always be your team, your staff, your team. Those are the people who are most loyal to you, your brand, your organization. And they're the people that are gonna get you through and work with you as we all together manage through this crisis. Our visitors, our clients, You know, all of them are are critically important to keep us so that we can keep moving and that our companies can stay um, fluid moving forward once the event is over. But really, it's your team that needs the buy in and the support. So, a key thing, and this is something IAPA has started since the very beginning as a global association, um, our APAC team was really the first ones who had to deal with everything. But they also were the first ones that kind of helped put together the SOP for how they would communicate with all of us and also help all of our regions around the world prepare for this. Um, so a key thing that we're doing here at IAPA, just like so many of you, before the big crisis really hit, is we started to encourage people people to, if they weren't feeling well, stay at home. And this included any family members. If they had children who were not, stay, who were not feeling well, stay at home with them. Um, we, we know that we're very lucky as an association that a lot of our staff can actually handle their roles from home. So rather than really put the added stress on, Personal time off or sick leave. We just said look make the judgment call. We trust our team We know you'll get your job done But if you're not feeling good or if you have family members not feeling good, please don't come in and and Possibly share that illness with everybody else. We're based here in Orlando Orlando had a rough flu season So we probably started communicating a lot of this early Um, Since that time the offices are closed and that does mean that we are mostly working from home at the global headquarters in Orlando um, but also all of our other regions around the world. And um, that means you know working from home, but also staying in contact with everybody. So we know right now, well, we had started with the social distancing maybe a few weeks ago. Right now, just about everybody's in that self-isolation category. Um, and this was, well, we have the ability to work from home. It's, it's new for everybody. Uh, those of us who have families and children have children at home. We've all been joking about the various pets that sometimes joins conference calls. So. This is also a time to continue to communicate, to support your team, have a little bit of patience, um, and and make sure that we're all communicating openly with each other. Um, As an association, it's also been very critical and important that we assure all of our members, um, many of you who are on this call, but our members around the world, that we are here for them and we are working on their behalf. Um, As I stated, we started this early on with our team in the Asia Pacific and began openly communicating with messages on our website saying, We're dealing with this situation, but many of our teams are working at home, so communication response might be delayed, but we are still here. Um, We had the benefit of knowing, too, what was happening and what had been done in Asia. So I think as we here at the global offices really started to look at what we would do in the North America region, in the European region, and in our Latin American regions, we kind of had an idea of how to prepare for these work policy changes and, and begin to prepare and be ready for them. So we've started utilizing more of Microsoft Teams. We're having more conference calls and emails, and, and frankly, too, work aside, personal touch bases with everybody. Just how are you doing? How is it working at home? Are you hanging in there? You know, at this point with working at home and social isolation, we cannot underestimate and we cannot devalue the importance of connection Frankly, that is a key part for IAPA all the time, and now more than ever, we still need to remain connected to our team members, to our members, and to each other. And as a member-driven organization, while we continue to work, and we're lucky that we have teams who are able to work from home, we want you all to know, too, that we are continuing to serve our members from these homes. From workforce management standpoint, um, you know, we, again, I can't say it enough, we know that communication is key, and we are trying constantly to keep on top of what's happening from a status standpoint, we created a dedicated resource page on our website so that our members could have quick access to information from um, the World Health Organization, from the CDC, but also from areas in their region. Um, We're putting new resources. Thank you all for mentioning the IAPA Crisis Communications Template. We created a quick link to that, and then we also pulled out key information too so that our members could access that quickly. And then looking at our team, you know, we really come together to say, okay, we know we're working at home. We know that we made those changes. What can we do and how can we make make sure that there's a a smooth transition? When we made the decision to close the offices, we let everybody know that they would be open, um, frankly, this past Monday until noon. And that allowed team members to come in and see if they needed to pick up anything from their offices, if they wanted to bring home that extra monitor. Sometimes we get so used to having multiple monitors at work, it might be hard to adjust into a laptop at home. Um, but really helping to provide all those details. And um, that's what we're continuing to do is help support our members as best as we can. Uh, one of the next things I just wanted to touch on too is the closures. Uh, we've been communicating with our members for a very long time. We know that the decision to make these, um, the decision to close is not made lightly and our role here is to continue to provide support and to serve our members. We've had many conversations with our members around the world, including our committees and our board of directors, and and through all those conversations, we've started to post more best practices and operation protocols that our facilities are currently doing. We really believe in information sharing, we believe in connectivity, and we want to help everybody manage the process of, we've gotten closed, now Mm -hmm. we're closed, what do we do, and how do we start to prepare to open? Um, and once again, you know, IAPA more than ever, we are really trying to pull together the connections within our attractions industry and focus on taking care of each other. I also wanted to point out that this is the time when this, we as uh, an industry and, and those of you as operators should really think about the relationship that you have with your guests and your clients and your customers. And you want to help keep your brand alive and top of mind with them. That that doesn't mean clobbering over the head with, you know, Don't forget to come visit. It really means reminding your customers that this is an industry that is fun and that this is the time that you are here to offer fun and that you're here to offer support and frankly, something to look forward to when we all get through this. Um, One of the things I think is so amazing is how our members are engaging with their guests through social media channels. Um, I don't know if all of you have seen the recent example from the Shedd Aquarium, but they let their penguins wander through and that video has gone viral and you can't help but smile watching penguins see something they can't normally do. So the more you can think about how your brand can engage with your customers through the internet, through social media, through webcams or Facebook lives, providing educational content for all those children that are sitting at home right now and are not in school and, and that you don't want them just blindly watching YouTube, um, anything that you can do to help keep your message alive, but it also helps lead and think about cash flow for your company. Maybe you can have a soft message in there too about, um, hey, now is the time to think about buying a gift card or gift certificate online. This is something that you can do to help your guests think about having a future visit, but it also will help your company have money in hand now so you can continue to pay your, your employees and you can continue to pay your bills and, and move forward. This is not about being tone deaf and being strong with tons of uh, advertising messages, but it's about shifting focuses and reminding your consumer about your brand and the relationship that you have with them. So that when we all come out on the other side of this situation together, they'll really look forward and think about coming to see you guys. So I think at this point, um, I'm gonna hand it back over to Angie and Laura. Great,
4: I'll take it. Um... As we all struggle to get our heads around what the pandemic and the recovery will look like for ourselves and our institutions, it feels like there's an endless number of scenarios to to explore, to figure out, and it just, it gets overwhelming, right, to try to play them all out and to develop meaningful action steps that we can take. Uh, So one of the tools that futurists and strategists alike use is scenario planning. Uh, AAM Center for the Future Museums has been training museums on scenario planning for years. In fact, our uh, 2018 um, Trends Watch issue, which I'll just hold up here, um, was all about scenario planning. You can find that on our website and, um, and, and use it for both this and, and, and other uh, uh, planning exercises you might be going through. Um, and Elizabeth Merritt, uh, the founding director of the Center for the Future Museums, published a blog post on our website last week uh, specifically about scenarios to plan and address this what feature is called disruptive event. And I'm pulling a lot of information here from what Elizabeth um, has said and preaches. Um, scenarios are basically stories. Imagine futures based on trends um, by creating several stories about how things might play out You can begin to identify how you might respond or adapt to different circumstances. You can focus your attention on some of the key indicators and minimize um, the risks inherent in um, in any uh, changing dynamic situation. Uh, Scenarios provide a way of collapsing all these potential futures into a manageable number of possibilities and provide a framework for planning your response so that things don't feel quite so out of control. Um, Elizabeth calls the scenarios in her post on our website low impact, medium impact and high impact. Uh, And she's actually written out scenarios uh, related to the COVID-19 pandemic based on fictional museums. So you can download those and tailor them to your own museum situation or in any institution situation. So here on the slide, um, they're called best mid-range and worst case scenarios. So while every community is at some risk for the spread of COVID-19, some communities may have a lower risk than others uh, but we'll still feel the effects of how the world is responding to this crisis. Um, in the low impact or best case scenario, there might be a relatively quick return to normal visitation and spending. Um, that might be the, you know, there's a question around how long we think this will last. I, I think it's really uh, d- dependent by geography um, and really unknown at this point. Um, you know, there was an article in the uh, New York Times yesterday saying that um, the Met in particular is, is planning on it continuing through July. Um, and when I say it, I think that's also a, an interesting question because we know that there will be a point at which many of our institutions can reopen but maybe uh, won't return uh, to um, normal visitation for a while. And that might, might be more of the medium mid-range impact scenario where an institution is either at elevated risk for a direct impact of the virus spread, um, and perhaps extended closures, lower visitation, and little to no growth for you know, perhaps months. Um, and then in the high impact or worst case scenario, we may be looking at government mandated closures as we're seeing in the states right now, um, perhaps going on for months um, with low or no visitation for an extended period, and perhaps many months or even year or years of slowdown in tourism and fundraising and other sources of revenue. So once you have these scenarios crafted to figure out which one is most likely, there are data and trends that you can monitor to see where it seems to be headed for your institution. And I'll turn it over to Angie to cover some of those.
0: Thanks, Laura. So when it comes to scenario planning to make some of these heavy decisions behind this around particularly finance and staffing, we suggest planning for the worst, hoping for the best, and then monitoring how things are rapidly unfolding to see somewhere where we land in between. Governments and markets, business and consumer confidence have been favoring pessimism over optimism and it does feel appropriate given that there's so many unknowns right now. So what this looks like best case is we all shut our doors for a time and our citizens snap into order to do their part and governments quickly come to the table with financial support. Scenario one here requires rapid and absolute control, which is closest to what China achieved. The economic impact will be significant for us for a quarter and then start to reopen the next and maybe take a few more to regain if we're lucky with some pent up demand. And so we all need to watch China's experience in the next few weeks to tell us if this is possible. The worst case scenario is what the world is uh, tracking for if they continue along an exponential growth curve that Charles talked about compared to China's more linear style one where the numbers just keep rising. Um, And those are the the eye-popping statistics that scientists have warned us of. So this means longer-term lockdowns and afterwards international travel that may be severely restricted and even domestic movement. So we may be able to open, as Laura mentioned, but very cautiously. And this scenario will come with recession uh, impacts. Along the bottom of the slide here, you can see all the sorts of unknowns to monitor as the situation progresses, like how far away the vaccine is, how people... If people get infected more than once, does the summer hemisphere uh, help? How long does government shutdowns last? And how many transportation companies are renationalized and other government support packages? Uh, So Laura, can we talk through very briefly um, how this looks for visitation impacts? Uh, You're uh, muted, there we are.
4: So um, uh, with this pandemic there seem to be a few segments of visitors that are really impacted which create both threats and opportunities um, if we can adapt. Of course uh, I know here in the states with our school year coming to an end uh, in a few months uh, we think the school closures will likely result in cancellations from school groups for the rest of the school year and perhaps next year until there's a a vaccine and large-scale immunity across the population Uh, Older demographics, of course, um, uh, right now are being reported as most vulnerable to the virus, and so they're staying home in May for a longer time. Uh, And of course, this, like many crises, has a tendency to disproportionately impact low socioeconomic audiences uh, in negative ways. And so I just ask um, us to ask ourselves whether there are opportunities to serve that group and all of these groups in new or additional ways. And of course, the impact of all the ways that we receive tourists on the next slide, uh, through group bookings, through cruise passengers, which of course we expect to be slowed um, for several, maybe up to several years. Uh, And then just tourists generally, when will folks start traveling again? Um, We'll have to wait to see, um, but we'll have a negative impact on our visitorships in in at least the short term, Angie.
0: Thanks, Laura. So yeah, as Pip mentioned, what we want to do is plan for all of these sorts of scenarios and uh, for Dexabit customers, we'll be doing this together in the next couple of weeks so that we can make decisions in advance of when we're in the thick of it and to set up and monitor data points to have a playbook and be able to react very quickly in an agile fashion to what's happening when the time comes to reopen. So it's unlikely that reopening will be a binary event. More likely is that it will come with government restrictions over public places. So that might be opening hours or days limited, capacities capped, Um, as Laura mentioned, maybe older populations out in public, maybe schools aren't allowed to venture out for visits, maybe cruise liners aren't back for a year or more. So beyond identifying these future scenarios is the task of working out what factors we're dealing with, what impacts they have, what data we can use to imagine and monitor them, and seeing what different modes of operation are going to look like for us with different combinations of these sorts of factors in play and allowing us to project financial situations and the resulting decisions for things like workforce. So underpinning this is what we need to throw out from our business model assumptions. Um, And uh, for example, member uh, conversion rates will be probably drastically different. Maybe average revenue drops because we're not allowed to open food and beverage. Maybe channel partners like ticket resellers or city pass operators may be gone. So we need to list all the assumptions that make our visitor attractions tick and then include this data in our models and monitors because it will change. So you may want to look back to your data from 01 or 08 to help with that. So based on that first order of decision set that Pip talked about, we need to understand the impact to date the projected impact of the closure through to April, May or more, and then what we need to do to get through. And then beyond that, we need to have all these decisions up our sleeves and be ready to roll. So based on those scenarios, those features, those assumptions, these simulations will underpin the trigger for those actions when we get there of how we operate. So this is a long-term, rapidly evolving crisis, which will eventually bring a new normal. Best thing we can do is lead our things, teams through and not panic, take a pause, look at the data and go from there. Susie, do you wanna take us through a couple of those decision points?
3: Yes, I know I, know I touched on a couple of these already, but um, really thinking about the key buckets during this time will help you prepare your organization to come out ahead. And, and I know we've already discussed a few of those. The attractions industry is a people-driven industry and so at this time, we really can't encourage everybody mo- more than nothing to say, focus on your employees. Um, focus on your employees who are working with you now. They're gonna be working through this with you and they're gonna be with you when you start to open again. Um, I agree with everything. You know, start making those contingency plans at all levels in, in your finance and accounting. And wait, think of ways to potentially drive cash flow now so that you have it in the bank and this will help you manage through and communicate with your consumers. Really, it's all about also looking at a holistic approach, to the timing of your messages. Um, you know, that goes back to looking at maybe advertising buys you already had or creative you already had in place. And, and we're not saying stop and don't do it, but instead think about the overall tone, the language that you're using, and, and think about adjust, uh, uh, adjustments that you could make um, so that, again, you're continuing to help share your message, but also... Um, recognizing that this is an unprecedented time around the the globe and that we're all, you know, adjusting to that. That is exactly what we're doing here at IAPA now, As we're thinking about how we can continue to support our members, communicate what we're doing, and and also show that we are here and we've got so many services like webinars and resources and and opportunities for our members to push forward and, and look forward to. When we were planning for this webinar and we looked at the this, this slide, I, I just, I can't stress enough how important communications is. It's, it's really, you, you know, communicate it once, tell everybody what you're communicating and, and communicating again. Um, all of these tactics involved involve coordinated and consistent messages, and they set the tone for the relationship that you have with your consumers, your vendors, your clients, and, and really don't forget your team. And that will go on long after the crisis or any additional crisis that could come your way in the future. Um, these are just examples of tactics that you can help to prepare for a closure, as well as what to do if that happens. And, of course, when we started working on these slides, not everybody had already closed. Um, but I do want to reiterate, too, how important it is to think about the community, like Laura said a few minutes ago. You know, if you have the opportunity to donate perishables or to help reduce supplies or, or anything that you can do to help those around you, we, we think that that's critically important and we'll go a really long way once again when we come out of this situation.
4: So I'll jump in here and talk about um, some of the uh, stimulus activity and, and advocacy work that uh, we in the museum field uh, are, are pursuing. Um, for several weeks, uh, AAM has been working to ensure that legislators here in the states understand that museums and zoos and aquaria and botanic gardens and science centers um, and all of the ways that we define museums, uh, to understand that those institutions are businesses. Many many are small businesses. um, And like restaurants and shops um, and other parts of our economy, uh, the sudden closures that have been occurring um, have already had severe impacts on museums and on the people that work in museums. Um, Museums are a $50 billion part of the U.S. GDP annually. Uh, We employ 726,000 people. Uh, We generate $12 billion in tax revenue annually, and we're making the case to legislators that we cannot be left out of any stimulus um, or economic relief efforts um, that the government uh, is initiating. So our advocacy alert from last week, which you can find on our website, Um, generated uh, over 4,300 letters and counting um, from advocates across the country who have been telling their legislators how they're already being impacted Uh, and today AAM is launching a new alert um, and sent a letter up to uh, Capitol Hill that makes a very specific ask of um, including four billion dollars in the currently targeted at one trillion dollar economic relief package um, as well as implementing a universal charitable deduction that would help to bolster our and other nonprofits' fundraising efforts in a time when we think that will be extremely difficult. So please um, visit our website to send a letter from your institution, um, any any museum, um, nonprofit, travel, um, you know, uh, play, uh, institution that's impacted by this. I think our legislators need to hear from us. And if you have a connection to a legislator, please pick up the phone and call them in the next 24 hours, ideally. And next slide. Lastly, while we focus on the financial situation in this um, uh, webinar and in in many of our businesses back at home, um, this is obviously a huge health and mental health issue um, and maybe crisis for, some members in our community or uh, on our staff. So as employers and as community members, we have to be really cognizant of that, hypersensitive to it, and sensitive to how different constituents are dealing with the many issues, from fear of getting sick, um, and especially those with pre-existing conditions that we may have no idea about, um, to family and friends falling ill, um, to pressures of children being home from school um, and trying to work at the same time. I can identify with that one um, to uh, you know making tough decisions to keep our organizations afloat this is um can be really a, a challenging mental health time so just a couple tips here on the slide for how uh we at aam are are you know dealing with this um addressing this in our own staff and and how you might consider um uh you know ramping up your employee assistance, reminding staff of your employer assistance programs um, what can we do to help, um, when the inevitable happens? And we do have staff or family of staff that, um, that do fall ill, um, or worse, um, things that we can do to encourage healthy habits during this crisis. Uh, you know, my HR director is sending notes to our staff to remember to go outside and take walks. It's springtime here in Washington. And so it's a, a beautiful time to be outside and that's a great break from the, um, uh, the stress um, of worrying both about our organizations and our our families and ourselves. Um, And we are actually actively asking our team to check in on each other. We're planning some virtual happy hours and other ways for people to connect to each other. Um, And I think that all of that is a critical part of how we will look back and evaluate the success of our response.
0: Thank you so much, Laura. And um, so just a uh, reminder to everyone, there is a Q&A facility in the webinar. If you do have questions um, to ask, please uh, feel welcome to do so. We're going to take a couple of those now. Um, and I'm going to send the first one to uh, Charles. Um, I know we put a couple of timeframes up on uh, when venues are closed too, and some of those are feeling already unrealistic. What is the um, sense there of when we can expect re- attractions to reopen?
1: I think at the moment they're kind of split on whether they've gone ahead and labelled a reopened date another specific date. Some have said April, some May, um, some July, or others haven't yet said. Um, A lot of theme parks, for example, haven't opened for the season anyway, so they're uh, they're just uh, perhaps putting back their opening uh, opening date. So there's no specific answer. It's just really watch this space because this situation is changing so quickly.
0: Thank you, and uh, one for you, Laura. Um, uh, will COVID nineteen demand a new governance model for visitor attractions? What new skills are boards going to require in this new world?
4: That's a, a great question. Um, thinking ahead to what this recovery uh, will look like, and and anticipating that the you know the immediate. Sort of health crisis will be followed by a financial crisis that may last for uh, several years, uh, and maybe, uh, may maybe, maybe severe. Um, I think we're we're. I'm always an advocate for diverse perspectives on boards. So um, you know, we've had quite a bit of momentum in the museum field here in the states working to um, diversify our our boards to get different um, types of folks and different perspectives that just create stronger decision making um, and help us to uh, find partners and audiences that we may not uh, automatically reach. So I think that's still going to be very critical. In fact, even more so um, I'd be thinking about um, entrepreneurial. Um, skills, you know, folks who can really help us figure out how to respond to this new normal. You know, my motto is never to let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and so what are the ways that we can um, take note during this time of crisis about the, the gaps or, um, uh, or opportunities that we're seeing um, and, and to continue to work on those even after the immediate um, crisis uh, dies down or slows down? Uh, So, entrepreneurial skills and other, um, you know, um, uh, uh, new business models that museums, in particular, might be looking at uh, in light of what we're experiencing right now. Thank you, Laura.
0: And uh, Pip, one for you. What metrics do you recommend focusing on for uh, measuring for institutions that are currently closed?
2: Thanks Angie. So initially the big one will be lost visitors and lost revenue, really understanding and quantifying that impact, but beyond that, as you move out of that initial assessment, looking to what you can still provide, uh, particularly during the closed period, such as digital engagement, uh, what is the number of likes, comments, interests that you're having in those social media posts, virtual tours, AR, VR experiences, and uh, a layer deeper than that, you can get into looking at the sentiment of those comments. Are people engaging positively? Is it hitting the mark? It's a great way to keep your community engaged through the closed time. Mm.
0: Uh, and Susie, lastly, um, some of us need to keep our frontline staff active when they can't work on site. What sorts of things can we get them to do? I know IAPR has got some great online courses at the moment, that, and a very timely one on safety. Um, what sorts
3: of things are you suggesting we do with staff that can't work on site right now? You know, This is a great time to focus on some of those projects that maybe you haven't been able to get to. Um, you know, we have some resources and some plans that we've wanted to update and now we can. For our members, too, this is a great opportunity for them to look to IAPA to exactly what you said, share the webinars. Our webinars are all online, even if they've been going on for, from past years, you can, our members can still access them. IAPA webinars are complimentary to members. Um, any employee who is, a, who is an employee of one of our members has access to those, those items, too. So if you have questions on how to access them, just go to our website at iapa.org and we can tell people how to log in. Um, but this is a great time to encourage more people to learn from each other, to take part in the um, the webinars, download research reports, understand how things have been in the past, and and really invest in some of that learning. That is something we can't always do when we're doing our regular day to day operation.
0: Hmm. Thank you very much, Susie, and wonderful. So uh, following today, what we'll be doing is distributing slides and then a recording and a survey to share information on what actions we're taking and more resources and providing opportunities for this group to reconvene again. And um, we do have time for a couple of more questions. So do keep those coming in both on Twitter and uh, Q&A. I know we're monitoring both of those. Uh, so there is a facility in this uh, webinar for you to ask questions there. And um, Laura, um, I've got one coming in here. I know the American Alliance conference is coming up in May. Um, and this is a, a tricky time to be able to be planning for the future. Uh, can you offer us some guidance on what to expect there?
4: Uh, so the AAM annual meeting and museum expo is, is still planned to proceed as, uh, as planned in San Francisco, May 17th through 20th. Of course, we're monitoring all of the guidance from the San Francisco Health Department and the CDC, uh, both of which have issued um, uh, prohibitions and um, uh, and, uh, and and recommendations on the CDC's front to um, to cancel things before May 9th. Uh, we are uh, so we're, we're we're waiting to see if those get extended. Uh, we are also um, surveying our uh, registered attendees and exhibitors to see what their plans are at this point. I know many museums have implemented uh, travel restrictions um, and and other. Uh, uh, things that might, might preclude folks who are planning to come to come. And so I urge you to please respond to look for that survey in your email um, and respond to it so that we can have the data to make uh, decisions shortly.
0: Mm, thank you. And uh, uh, Pep, I know um, everybody's thinking about when we're closed, there's no money coming in the door. Um, what are some of the methods for anticipating losses in
2: earned or unearned revenue? Thanks, Angie. So if you have forecasting in place, uh, that's a great place to start because you can start with that baseline of what you expected uh, to see and look at the gap from that uh, if the closure persists or uh, model a ramp-up period post-opening. Another way is to look to your 2008 data from the uh, global financial crisis. Uh, It's probably the closest we have to a depression in uh, you know, ac- economic activity—it's by no means comparable, but it may give you an indication of how quickly people started returning to attractions uh, in that space. And uh, if you weren't open in two thousand and eight, <laughs> it's uh, even more difficult um, to to model that. But beginning with your uh, what you expected to see, and then playing out those scenarios that we've talked about, will give you a good standing start uh, there.
0: Thank you. I know we've seen a few questions coming in on how to do scenario uh, sim, uh, simulation. We will be providing more information and resources, um, potentially more sessions like these, to dive into that in detail and um, starting to look at how those factors are coming through as the situation unfolds. And so, following today, we will be distributing slides, recording a survey and more resources like that with other opportunities to reconvene again, including diving deep into this scenario simulation. This is where all of our attention needs to be focused from here while we're closed. So I want to uh, say a, a big thank you to everyone for joining us today and to our speakers for taking us through this in a time when I know that we are all uh, dealing with the effects of this for our team and our customers too. You can probably tell from my accent that I'm from New Zealand. We have a saying here which we use with each other when we're facing tough times that require immense courage. It is kia kaha and it means stand strong. We use it as a rallying cry and that is what we want to leave you with here today. So go well, stay safe and we will see you again soon. Thank you for joining.